Hey, what's up? My name is Matt Workman, and I'm a virtual production developer and cinematographer, and you're listening to The Go Creative Show. Hey, everyone. My name is Ben Consoli. I'm a director and owner of BC Media Productions, and this is The Go Creative Show, a podcast for filmmakers. So today we are talking all about virtual production in two different ways. One, on those gigantic LED screens like we saw in The Mandalorian, and also virtual production on green screen. And we're talking with Matt Workman, who is an expert in this field. He's a virtual production designer uh, and cinematographer. You may know him from Cinematography Database and his program, Cine Tracer. He's been on the show before, and so much has changed since the last time he was on that we had to bring him back because he's got new information, new workflows, and everything you need to know to get virtual production into your workflow. I am really excited about this topic. This is something that I've, you know, really been into for a while, but you know, I just don't have the background in like gaming and virtual 3D sets and all that stuff. So some of my questions may sound like completely insane and from a complete imbecile's point of view, but that's fine. I am an imbecile sometimes. And this is what the show is all about, learning. So I learned a lot. I know you guys uh, will too. And uh, so excited to bring Matt back on the show. A couple of things. Want to encourage you to follow us on social media, Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, and YouTube. Uh, and of course, subscribe to us on your favorite podcast app. I also want to thank our sponsor, PostLab, stress-free collaboration in Final Cut Pro and Premiere. Let's jump right in because we've got so much to talk about. Virtual production. This is exactly what I want to be talking about right now. It's the perfect time. So let's get right into it with Matt Workman, virtual production designer and cinematographer. So I'm here with Matt Workman, virtual production developer and cinematographer, and we are here today to talk about virtual production. Big surprise based on that title. <laughs> but Matt, thank you so much for coming back on the show. We haven't seen you in a while. Welcome. Hey, thanks for having me. This is fun. We have the same mic too. This this is feeling good. This is Th a good start. This is the one. Now, now people do ask, so wait a minute. Shore, what is this called? S- SM7B. SM7B, okay? Yeah. The Shore SM7B somehow has become the podcaster mic. And I don't I don't really know how it happened. It's just like all of a sudden, this is what I'm seeing everywhere from huge shows down to just like small podcasts and beyond. Um, but I'm seeing it everywhere. Yeah, it's it's relatively affordable, I think. Cause, like as you get into like the higher end broadcast mics, those can hit like a thousand to two thousand like pretty quick. Whereas this thing's like 300 and it just needs a little bit of a little bit of gain but I saw it on Twitch like I kind of moved into video game development uh, a while back and I got onto like the Twitch streaming scene and I, I streamed there a bit and it was just everyone was using this mic and you know I think from an audio point of view it's just like very focused so you know you know yeah. like you could like I have a noisy room in here it's not great audio treatment and like my PC's right there blaring but it does a pretty good job of um, rejecting the background. I have mine that's running through a cloud lifter as well, yep. which was yep. a recommendation from Matt Russell, who you know does all the mixing for the podcast and also my production company. Um, and it sounds good. Like I like this mic, and it's not that expensive. So it's it's I, if people are wondering what mic should I get for my podcast, and you can drop a couple hundred bucks. Like this is a great mic. It's used by the pros and it's used by the amateurs too. Yeah, I think the claim to fame is, oh, I forget now. It's like some, something like one of the Michael Jackson, like, 
like Cornerstone Records was recorded with it. And you'll see it with musicians too. Like they take the foam off of it and it's just like the raw mic, but they mic guitars, they mic audio with it, or like vocals. It's, uh, it's, a, it's a good one. I like it. Now we can go on and on for days about audio, but we're not here to talk about audio because the entire world has changed. You have been on the bandwagon of virtual production well before really anybody else that is in my circle or even people that are out publicly. No one was really paying that much attention to virtual production when you started diving in. And COVID hit, and now people have to find new ways to produce. How has the world changed for you since COVID and the now more and more implementation of virtual production? Yeah, COVID definitely you know, accelerated virtual production into the, you know, even, even like mainstream. And, and it really, it was, um, it was the Mandalorian, which I know you talked to the, the yeah. cinematographers of that, you know, that became, as soon as the behind the scenes of that was released, that really like gave people like a visual to grasp onto. They're like, oh, virtual, virtual production is the Mandalorian. So like everyone knew that at a certain point. And then COVID hit and the productions that even could go back, the mandate currently is to have less than nine people on set at once. Uh, mm. That's the last figure I heard from, I'm working with like a TV show right now that's going into a virtual production. And they just did a season, uh, the first season of their show. They did it like traditionally, if that, you know, like the yeah. way that we, we used that's to what do I'm, it. That's what I'm calling it too, yeah. Yeah, and it was, you know, PPE, like all the protection and legal and all the extra stuff is a 30% overhead of the budget, which is insane for a big show. That's a lot of money. And then you can only have nine people on set at a time, which is like insanity. That's like half of one department normally. <laughs> They're usually all on set together. So, you know, there's this mandate now to have less people. And so if you can do the sets virtually, either on an LED wall or green screen, that's some, you know, that helps a little bit. And yesterday I was playing, or not playing, but I mean, I, it is kind of playing, but, you know, I'm playing with remote cameras, you know, those, those have been around for a while. Uh, being able to control a camera remotely with like a with a joystick with wheels, but that is now like very very important, way more than it ever was before. You, you used to use like a remote camera if it was like a, a sky tower, like it's like yeah we're gonna put this camera like a hundred feet in the air for like this shot of like the golf course, something like that, or very specialty things. But now even like your A camera, you know, if you can get the camera operator and focus puller offset, that's you know that's that's a good thing these days. So you know we're seeing a combination of virtual sets and then also remote camera operating and more remote. I just want to get to people up to speed uh, as to who you are and you know kind of why you are the expert in this field. So just give us a little bit of your background, your certainly the cinematography database and Cine Tracer. I mean, you've got so much going on, but who are you and why are you the authority in this topic? I think last time we spoke, um, I was primarily a cinematographer. So I was doing commercials and music videos and a tiny bit of TV in New York City for about 10 years. But then I started to get into 3D and started doing previs and like kind of storyboarding in 3D to help out when I was doing commercials. And then I just like jumped fully into 3D for quite a while and kind of came out on the other side using Unreal Engine, which is a, a real-time game engine. Uh, so for, I think, the last five years, I've been working really hard at like bringing live-action cinematography together with the 3D world. And so now that has a name, virtual production, so it can be doing things like Avatar with like a, a virtual camera and mocap, which is like people in suits, like puppeting 3D characters, or it could be 
know, there's a lot of names for it, but like mixed reality or XR. And we could consider anything from, you know, like a green screen set where you're tracking the camera to the LED walls used on Mandalorian. So I've been um, trying to put those together for a while, didn't always have a title. And like it, it really kind of came together uh, last year. I shot a project for Epic Games, who makes Unreal Engine. And it was with the actual team from The Mandalorian. So it was the same VFX team, the same LED wall uh, consultants and, and manufacturers. And so we basically shot a mini Mandalorian demo for SIGGRAPH, which is a, a computer graphics conference. And that came out before Mandalorian. And, and I was the director and DP of that quite visually, like in the behind the scenes videos and whatnot. And so just interesting timing. Like that's just like was my trajectory. And then it just all came together. I think again, like Mandalorian. And then unfortunately with COVID too, it's just... Um, all of a sudden, people knew what that meant because before that, it was it was like me. That was it. There was not like a lot. I mean, not. I think on the indie level, there were not a lot of people doing this. Mostly behind the scenes, secret Disney type stuff. <laughs> yeah, people certainly weren't out there talking about it, and you know, even fewer were out there doing it. Um, but I just just to get so cinematography database is your company, I guess you would call it. I mean, it's the name of your YouTube channel. It's kind of who you are, you're synonymous with, but you also have created Cine Tracer, which is more of that previs that you were talking about, an application specifically for previs. Um, and I do want to get into that a little bit before the end of the show, but for right now, let's talk about that Mandalorian LED wall, because you brought it up as kind of the turning point in virtual production. We've talked about it here on Go Creative Show when we had the DP of The Mandalorian, but I think there's still some question as to what that is and how that works and how it's different from green screen. So can you give us a little bit of um, just some insight as to what this LED wall is and how it works in virtual production? Sure. So from like a, a high level, right, like producer, director, you know, actor, you know, on a green screen, you don't see what's happening, right? Like you don't really know where you are. Like the director might say, it's like, we're in, we're in the, we're in like, you know, we're shooting Game of Thrones and it's like, there's a dragon over here. And it's winter and it's real cold. And it's like, okay, go. You know, you might get a little bit more prep than that. And so, you know, high level with the LED walls, um, you're taking that virtual world that would be usually added later and you're seeing it right there on like what is simply gigantic LED TV screens, really. Me meant for like events for the most part, like 100 foot tall Super Bowl, you know, events playing cool graphics. It's that same tech, except you, pr you basically put the 3D environment in it and you can have... 3D characters and all sorts of stuff happening. And so that allows, from the filmmaker's point of view, they actually see through the camera the exact environment. And when, when they move that camera, they see parallax and you, it feels like you're really there. Like it's all happening um, correctly perspective-wise. So when you move the cameras around, you're like, oh, over there's the tree, over there's the rock, there's the mountains, and, and you know, and then you can change it. So through the camera, you're seeing like all of it happening at once versus like with green screen, it's like you don't see that final image for months <laughs> or a very long time. So to bring it all happening like right up front from the filmmaker's point of view is really nice. Like you you just like, you feel like you're there and you're making decisions like you're on a live set. And that's how, well, before COVID, <laughs> that's the way that, that sets were really, you know, designed to work. It's like everyone looks at the monitor and they, they kind of all go off into their own segments. Like, okay, we need to fix this. And it's very, you know, everyone has like their role, but it all focuses on seeing the monitor. So for the filmmaker, it's great to see um, the virtual environment like right then and there. Sometimes you can even capture it. That's the final. Sometimes it's a preview. And then for the actors and even anyone else who's on set, they just get to be 
more than no. There's just a lot more context with it, you know. And we hope, the hope is that by bringing all those decisions up front and everyone kind of being on the same page and seeing what's actually happening, that maybe there's some savings. Uh, that's not necessarily the case uh, in the early stages, but hopefully like just better creative decisions are being made and made up front. And it, it can be done even on the indie level. It's it's pretty surprising to me how many stages there are. Um, there's now like roughly, like worldwide, I think there's roughly like 300 of these, like not at full Mandalorian operation level, but like pretty decent level. So it's it's spread extremely quickly. And uh, I think that it's, it's really allowing people that could never afford like a full VFX pipeline. Like that's pretty expensive per shot. You know, I don't know if you've ever talked to like VFX producers, but it's like $30,000, $40,000 per VFX shot, right? So you do a commercial, it's, it's, it's like, you know, 30 shots or something like that. It, it, it adds up and that's just the VFX part of it, you know, not just the production part. So being able, the hope is to be able to do like close to that level of work, but it's it's a lot less. Um, once someone has that stage all up and running, right? There's no compositing. There's just it all happens there. It doesn't replace traditional VFX, but it's it, in certain cases it would um, it would allow that to happen. So you can film this through traditional cameras. So cinematographers can just use their regular old camera, and this is basically just instead of having green screen behind them. You have an LED wall with your background. Another advantage is that the light from your actual set is coming back onto the talent. So you don't, it's not like you have green screen bouncing a little bit of that green light on people's backs. You're at, the light you're bouncing is the light from the, from the real background. So it, it sort of, it makes it feel a little bit more realistic in that way too, from a lighting perspective. Um, have you found that as well? It can for sure. Like the 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 demo I did with the motorcycle for SIGGRAPH, you know, the the real I think um feature of it was the reflections, which technically is bounced lighting. Yeah. But you know, you take something that's like you know, a nightmare in green screen, like a, a reflective like black table or something like that. It's like in a on a green screen, it's like that is just gonna be green and it's gonna get keyed out and you're gonna have to roto it and figure out what was the reflection, you know. Or in, in the Mandalorian's case, like the main character is a, a chrome helmet. Not very, not a fun thing that you would want to do on um, you know, if you could avoid it on green. Though they did do a lot of green screen on that show. Uh, it's really the reflections I think that you gain, you know. And they, it's if you've ever done like tabletop of like a beer bottle or something like that, it's the edges of reflective objects mm. um, that get really uh, very mirror-like, and it's literally a mirror at the right angle of the background at, at a at the depending on the angle. So it's like those reflections you pick up for free and, and doing reflection, um, adding reflections into uh, green screen sets is extremely expensive. It's really hard to do. And so just to have the reflections more or less for free if you set it up correctly, that's like the real gain. I think there is, there's definitely, if you did a completely 360 LED wall set like they basically did for Mandalorian and they do for cars and stuff like that, you do get a lot of that lighting from the LED walls. Um, but the, the truth of it is, is you end up doing a lot of traditional lighting over it anyway. So I, I think a lot of it is, is the reflections are like pretty accurate, but I wouldn't, you know, I, you get a little bit of like of that ambient lighting, um, from the actual set, but it, you still end up lighting like a lot over it, but yeah. reflections. Yeah. That makes sense. Um, I had a question about that LED wall is when you're, when you're moving around. So the camera's moving around, there's a parallax effect. You're on a slider or whatever. Um, mm -hmm. Is your background just a static flat image or are they also in some instances timing 
the move of the background with the move of the camera so that the parallax is as correct as possible. I hope that made sense. I think it did. I see you nodding. So the the virtual background, it's not like a it's not like a static image or even like a 360 image. It's a full 3D world. Mm. So you can have and one of the projects I'm doing, Drummer XR, really like tries to show that. But you can have like characters walking around back there fully in 3D. And when you move the real camera, the virtual camera that's matching it, that goes in the background, it moves the exact same way. So you could dolly forward 50 feet and the virtual camera, just like in a video game, it dollies forward 50 feet exactly the same. So it's a full 3D world. Like You could be walking into virtual houses, walking out, walking up the mountain. I mean, you have to have a big stage to actually physically move like that. But it's not, in a, it's not like a trick, you know, really. It's, it's really like there's the real world and then there's the full 3D virtual world and you can move around in it. You can change the lighting. You can do whatever you want. You have fireworks. You can you could grab an Xbox controller, which we've done this before, and be driving cars around in the background, right? It's it's pretty nuts. But yeah, so it's I think like that's hard to see unless you like you see it right then and there. I think it's we try to illustrate it in videos, but it, it's not a, an effect. Like it's like oh, this is like a projection of the 3D world. It's like nope, there's just a 3D world fully realized that's yeah. matching it. How are you controlling it? Is it like mounted onto the camera? Is there some sort of sensor or something mounted on the camera? Yeah, so for camera tracking, like if you want, you need to match the real camera in the virtual world and, and vice versa. Uh, for the high end systems, you're going to use like regular mocap cameras, if that makes sense. So, like if you've ever done VR, capture, yeah. there's basically like cameras that shoot lasers pointing into the set. And you'll have little, you've seen them maybe on like behind the scenes of like avatars, but there's like little gray balls that go all over people's suits. Mm -hmm. You put those same gray balls on a camera in a certain configuration and the mocap sensors and technology, they can basically triangulate based on, you know, the laser hitting the ball and coming back. They're like, oh, we know where that is in space. So that's like traditional mocap, like kind of like laser outside in tracking. And that's what they use on big sets. Like Mandalorian is... um. Season one, I think, is OptiTrack is the name of the company. And I believe season two is Vicon, another high-end. But we see a lot of OptiTrack. And then for broadcast stuff, like that's feature film. And like the sets might be like football field size, like gigantic. Like you need that kind of level stuff. On the slightly smaller size sets, like a 40 by 40, something like that, 40 by 60, you can get away with um, kind of broadcast camera tracking technology, which is, I'll just say there's like Mosis is a big one. And it's like you put a bunch of dots on the ceiling and the laser sensor looks up at the dots and they're like, well, based on this, that's where we think we are. And it's pretty accurate. And then there's Stipe and NCAM and the other kind of uh, big players in that space. So there's lots of, lots of different ways of doing it. But yeah, you basically stick a box on the camera or they call it a tiara. It's a bunch of uh, motion capture balls literally on top of it. And they can figure it out where it is. Can you talk to me about the monitoring for this kind of a setup? Sure. Yeah. I mean, there's, there's a lot. Like when you, when you roll up into a virtual production set, it's just an army of computers usually. And like the computers have like six screens on them and stuff like that. I mean, so the, the fun view is like, you know, through the camera, right? And it's like, when you look at it, you're like, you're just on set. Like there's no green screen. It just looks like you're there if you're doing it right. That's the idea. So that's what the camera operator is working off of. That's what the director's looking at. That's what the virtual art department you know, if you start to work in, in this space, you'll hear VAD a lot, just like virtual art department, right? So you have to make the virtual mountains and the virtual sets. And like in Mandalorian, the virtual hangar, you know, that's a whole 
that's oh a God. large department of people that have to do that. And you make changes on the day. So like you're looking through the shot and you're like, we need to move that virtual coffee cup over. You, just, you don't even use the word virtual. You're like, move that coffee cup over, move the shelves over. And you do like, it's like the mountains in the back. It's like, they got to go over here, right? And so that's like your big, gigantic, like as big as you can make consumer TVs, like 96 inch monitor. There's like many of those everywhere on set usually. And that's what the camera operator sees too. So like, they're like pan over. You see it, pan, you know, tilt up, and you're, you you see when you're looking through that monitor, like the like the monitor, the through the camp through the lens monitor, you see it, and that's the most important. And then there's lots of other monitors that have to be checked, like the performance, like you know, all the LED walls have to be in sync. So there's a lot of much technical stuff on the back end, but the through the lens monitor, I think that's what we're talking about. That's the that's the fun one. It's interesting to me how traditional the cinematography is, even though we're in such a you know, unique 3D space. That's like mind blowing to me. Yeah, people ask like, you know, how, like from, from a cinematographer point of view, because that's like really where I come from. It's like, you know, what do you need to learn to get into this? It's like regular cinematography. Like you need to, because you're, you're presumably for the most part filming, you know, live people. So you need to be able to do normal composition, understand coverage, you know, be able to light them appropriately. And that's that's the main part. And then understand, like, you know, where do you put them compositionally in that scene? You know, you work that out with the director normally, but it becomes seamless. There's no specialty. There's, like, really no special trickery needed. You don't have to be like, oh, we only, you know, we have to do it, like, a special way. Like, how you like to film, you can do that, basically, on an LED wall. Now, there's, like, things, like, you can't get, like, you know, like, within, like, four feet of the LED wall and just shoot at it and put it in focus. Like, you generally keep them out of focus, but... I think most cinematographers that work on stages and who would be working on shows like that, they've probably worked with like a translate or something very similar, which is just like a big painting of a city that like goes outside of the windows on yeah. a stage. And you also don't put that in focus because it's a painting. You, you keep it out of focus. It's like, it's a deep background element. So it's basically the same thing. And that's, that's the nice part is that it allows like a traditional director and, and you know, cinematographer to work like they normally do on set and the VFX stuff is kind of like taken care of, you know. You you obviously have someone there who's very specifically VFX producing, virtual production producing, to make sure all the things work. I mean, that's technical, but it's not the it's not the cinematographer's job, right? You could you could throw any ASC BSC cinematographer onto that set, and it would just be like business as usual. There's not, you know, a little bit of here's you know, a couple little things about like frame rates and stuff like that, but that's normally handled anyway. But yeah, you can just work. How you want you go handled? You do you do anything? You know, so that's another great part. Versus green screen has a, a little bit more limitations. It's like depending on like how difficult the track is. Like if you can even move the camera or not. You know, if it gets a, if it's a smaller production in a green screen, you're not moving the camera. Yeah, like, yeah, that's pre- that's a pretty common thing. But it's like with with virtual production with an LED wall, it's like do whatever you want, more or less. You know, I mean, you can't like I don't know. It's not a GoPro. You have you know, I think it wants smoother moves in general. But yeah, a lot of that limitation, all the, the limitations of like a t- traditional VFX set, they're basically gone. You know, reflections, lens flares, anything you want. Like as long as we all sign off, you know, it's uh, it's quite freeing. It's one of the reasons that I like earlier this year kind of thought to get back into shooting. I was like, I was like, this is incredible. Like it's just so much more fun to see it there and have control over the background. Like I'm controlling the lighting of the virtual world. I was like, this is fun now. This is great, you know, uh, because it's so fluid now. Are there any, you mentioned something about frame rate issues, potentially things you have to think about. Um, I want to just talk a second about that. Like what are some of the small 
lesser known details that kind of pop up in a virtual production that you may not be thinking about? Well, so frame rate, it's, there's some, I'm not even, I'm not the specialist on this end of it, but just well, I mean, you ha code. you've had an experience playing around with it and there must've been something that popped up that you were like, oh, I never thought that was going to become an issue. Oh, there's, there's, there's a lot. Yeah, for sure. Um, again, usually being handled by someone else. I'm, I'm just aware of them as they're being handled. Yeah. But, you know, so the first one is Genlock. And um, so if you think about the camera, if it was a film camera, it's like exposing one frame at a time, right? At 24 frames a second. So 24 frames a second, this thing is like capturing, you know, an image. And digitally, it's similar depending on the sensor. And so the LED wall needs to fire at the perfect sync. So if you're filming a TV and you've ever been like with the wrong shutter speed, it's like you, you see like banding and it's, it's basically like the phase or like the, the TV's firing its image at a different time than the camera's firing its image. And then CMOS complicates that too. But basically it, it doesn't look right. So you have to actually sync everything on set perfectly to the camera taking its frame. So like the, the camera making an image, you know, uh, basically dictates the heartbeat of like everything on the LED wall. So you picture like these like thousands of LED panels because they're all individual like like half a meter uh, LED squares. Those need to all be firing at the exact same time, which is, is quite an engineering feat, but it can yeah. be, they've done it. They've, they've figured out the tech. And then Unreal Engine also has to be firing <laughs> at the exact same time. And then it has to be distributed across this massive network to get that going. So that's, that's all backend video engineering stuff. If you work live events and whatnot, that's same problem. If you have like, again, it's the Super Bowl and there's like a thousand foot LED wall, you need the all fire at once. That doesn't come for free. And then syncing it to the camera is extremely important. And, and the second thing that's interesting, and again, the DP doesn't really deal with this, but it's something I was very interested in, is that you can't, if you just film a regular TV with a cinema camera, it won't look right. And it, it's mostly because normal monitors are going to apply uh, some sort of lookup table like sRGB or something like that to make the colors look good to the human eye. And if you take a camera and you shoot raw, you also have to add that transform back to it so that you're like, okay, this is like a, a linear color space or raw. And we need to also apply that a very similar lookup table to make that look good to your eye. Mm. So the camera adds an, a lookup table and the monitor does too. So if you film them, if you film an L, a regular LED wall with a camera, you've added that almost that same transform twice. So it's like adding mm. sRGB, it's like adding two sRGB color corrections are two LUTs to the same footage. So it ends up double, like you go too, it's not right. So what you actually have to do for the LED walls is un, is take that away. So oh, when you go, sense. so the, so like high level, when you walk on set and you, and you with your eyes look at the LED wall, you're like, that doesn't look very good. It doesn't look good to my eye. But when you look through the camera, it does. And so that took me, that, you know, that was one of the first things that had to happen to me. I was like, oh, cause like, and they, they really explained it. They had like, an ILM color scientist and RE's color scientist was on set and everyone was, uh, every, they were handling that. I wasn't doing it. But you basically have to de-LUT the LED wall. So when you walk in, you're like, this doesn't look right. This looks, it looks kind of like flat and like kind of weird. It's like you're looking at like a flat, uncolor corrected image on the wall, but through the camera, because you add that LUT in the camera, either live or after, that's what it has to be. So those are two things that are pretty new concepts and you never deal with unless you're on a, LED set. And again, again, directors and DPs, that's not your job, you know, but it, it's something you'll notice. You're like, huh, 
this doesn't look as nice as I thought it would, but it, it will through the camera. That's so interesting. Like I wasn't even thinking about that, but you're hundred percent right. You're basically shooting a TV. So you have to account for that. That's so crazy. That, that, all right. Was there any other weird little thing that happened on set that you weren't expecting or something that you were like, oh my God, I never thought in a million years I would have to be dealing with this right now. Because again, again, shooting a TV, right? You know, or shooting a big LED wall. Like you, like, so you have a, if you want through the camera to shoot the TV, it, it needs to be exposed correctly. Mm. You end up having to stop down a lot. Right, TV, like they're very bright. And these LED walls that we were shooting against, uh, made by Roe, um, Black Pearl 3s, I believe, um, they're meant to be viewable outside in direct sunlight. Mm. Right, Super Bowl, basically. Yeah, yeah. Olympic, like big events. So direct sunlight, you can still see them. So they're like 18, like I forget, you can look it up. It's like 1,200, 1,600 nits, like insanely bright. So we were shooting with... to. To maintain, and you don't want to dim them usually, um, for, depending on the color you want, like best color fidelity, and they're designed to be at full blast. Uh, if you dim them in certain cases, depending on the wall, you're losing, you're losing something by doing that. So we were shooting at a 2.8 or 4, I think, on our lens on an Alexa LF. And that was like, a, it's like shooting outside. So it was like an ND like 2.1 or something like yeah, that yeah, yeah. in front of the lens. So it's like, they're too bright. And, and it's, it's evolving, but I can speak to like when we were doing it. And, and so it's much brighter than you would expect. So when you have to like say fill in, you're like, oh, we need like a little fill from the side. You're filling in like the sun. So you're talking big light. So wow. I think a lot of people look at it and it's like, oh yeah, it's like an LED wall. Like it's like my TV, right? Like it's low light levels. And it's like, nope, nope, no, it's the opposite. It's insane light levels. Now they have ones that are more tuned for video now because we're using like event LED walls essentially. So sure. the industry is evolving. But at the state we were in, it's like, nope, you're fighting the sun. So it's like, you need a big light coming back in, which is nice. You're, you're shooting at healthy ISOs, healthy T-stops, like if you wanted it. So that's something that I think most people wouldn't assume. So like, you're like, if you're like making your lighting order, you, you're, bringing, you're bringing the big lights. So you'll see a lot of like RA uh, S360s, like the, it's like the triple S120 sky panels. They're huge. They're like four by four, four yeah. feet by four feet. Like that's like minimum. <laughs> it, you need a lot of light. So are, are cinematographers just, you know, stopping down and blurring the background in the LED screen to account for that more closed aperture? So it's it's definitely, you need to lower the exposure for sure. That's not typically done by um, closing down the lens, the iris, the aperture, because you do want to keep the LED walls out of focus. Uh, and there's some formulas and things that you kind of figure out to, as you're shooting it. But if the wall is, is in focus too much, it will moray like any, mm. it's a bunch of like very small, LEDs and that's just like a tight knit sweater. It's just not going to go well for how digital. Um, I'm not sure if it's part of the debayering process, but anyway, digital cameras do not love tight patterns, and they'll they'll make very interesting kind of like a swirly distortion patterns on them. Whatnot that 100% happens, and you kind of sort that out depending on your sensor lens and wall configuration distances. Point being, you keep the wall out of focus in most cases, but um, as they get tighter and tighter pitch, basically, like the, the LEDs are tighter packed together, they're smaller pixels, yeah. whatnot, the more you can put the wall in focus. And I was impressed with how much you could actually keep the wall in focus, and it was like, 
that just looks like the real world. It, just, yeah, yeah, it yeah. doesn't look like you're shooting a TV. But in general, you're you're shooting not wide open, but but watch the Mandalorian. It's shallow. Yeah, you're you're opening as much as you want to and just applying ND to to account for the brightness. That's that was my approach. Um, and I, I don't, I'm not sure that there's any others. You could, you know, you can ISO to what you want as well. Like, but you, you're not gonna ISO to like hundred or fifty or something. No, like no. That, you know? Well, what about like, okay, if you're shooting at a place with windows and it's really bright outside, you can put like an ND kind of film on the window to stop down the amount mm-hmm. of light outside. Did they do anything like that in front of the LEDs? I think in general you wouldn't want to go with something like that. Um, we didn't do any interiors. And I haven't been on a set that uses them like that, but I wouldn't assume you would want to go that way. I think that you have control over the stage lighting, like the ambient. Like if you were putting, I would put like S360s over me with like crates, I can raise the ambient as much as I need to. I wouldn't need to use something like that because ND ND and Windows is going to add reflections um, because it's like another, it's just like another piece of um, reflective object put in there. So I, I never tend to like those. Types of techniques, uh, you know, on a stage like this, you just have full control over the lighting. So, if, like, if you needed to lower the background, you could alternately just like raise the foreground and, and even them out. Uh, and I think the new—I'm not like as on top of like the new LEDs that are coming out, but I think the new sapphire black pearl um, sapphire row LEDs—they are making them so that they're less bright. Yeah, right. It's like it's like these—they know like this is a big thing happening. Like row and all of these companies yes. that make the LEDs, they're like. All of a sudden, every studio in the world had once has a purchase order for like ten studios. Like, they're making LEDs specifically for this. And the other thing, like, if you've seen the images, there's studios that have ceilings. Ours had a partial ceiling, so you're completely covered <laughs> from the top. And then broadcast studios have the floor too, which is bananas. Like, you wouldn't think it would work. That you don't usually use that for movies, but if you see it for broadcast, like, the, like esports is big right now. League of Legends, uh, Weather Channel is going to be doing it. Um, who was it? Katy Perry's uh, American Idol live live performance was a uh, was a floor. So you wow. look down and you'd think it's like, oh, obviously it's an LED floor. It looks weird, but it's like, no, it actually looks incredible when they do it right. So you'll be looking at the floor, go to the ceiling, and it's like you could kind of sense it. But if you're just like a consumer and you're not looking for it, it's like it looks like they're standing like you know in a, in a real world. So it's. It's it's pretty nuts too. I didn't. I've never shot on a floor, but I've seen I've seen a lot of productions have LED floors, and it's like that just looks you know kind of incredible. Now let's take a quick break and talk about MZ. Now MZ is all about educating filmmakers and creatives. That is what it's all about, and perfect for Go Creative Show. I mean, that's who we are here at Go Creative Show. Now, they, they have, first of all, a library of hundreds and hundreds of hours of video-based, high-quality filmmaking education covering all sorts of topics like directing, cinematography, post-production, visual storytelling, and more. And, of course, education is only as good as the educator. And the great news about MZ is that they have a roster of incredible educators, people that you know and love that have work that you admire. Talking about Vincent LaFerre, Shane Hurlbut, Philip Bloom— Ari Academy is there. In fact, we had Philip Bloom on talking about his um, his uh, MZ uh, course, Filmmaking for Photographers. We had him on talking about that whole thing just a, a few months back. Now, perfect example. One of their educators is Tom Cross. Now, he's an editor, Tom Cross, A-C-E, 
His course is called The Art and Technique of Film Editing. Now listen, Tom Cross edited Whiplash. He edited La La Land. So we're talking about an award-winning, Oscar-winning editor, Tom Cross. Now he's teaching one of the courses over at MZ. Like that's the caliber of trainers that you have at MZ. It's absolutely incredible. Now, yes, you can buy individual courses and that's great. But if you become an MZ Pro member, you have access to a library of hundreds of hours of this amazing stuff. So that is what I'm suggesting you do. That's what I am, an MZ Pro member, and I suggest you do the same thing. Now, you can learn all about MZ at gocreativeshow.com forward slash MZ, M-Z-E-D. Check it out for yourself. You're going to absolutely love the quality of courses, the visual aesthetic to it, of course, because we're all filmmakers here. And also just the education itself. It's just so good. It's perfect for our minds, for the creative mind. It's perfect for us. Check it out for yourself. GoCreativeShow.com forward slash MZ, M-Z-E-D. How do people get started in virtual production like this? How do you start? I mean, we're talking about really high-end, multi-million dollar productions, but how do you break into this industry? What do you need to know? What do you need to own? What do you need to have with you? It's the film industry still, right? So it's it's pretty similar. You know, it's so if you're in like a major city, though they're ev- these stages are everywhere now. If you're in a major city, it's the same as like how do you get on set? If there was no LED wall, it was like a built set. It's it's the same same formula. Not that there is one. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, mm-hmm. you know, it's try to get on set. That's that's really what is important at, at any level. You can own, you know, a rental house with every light in the world, every camera in the world. You you need to get yourself on set. And so depending on what position that is and whatnot, I would say if you're specifically interested in the virtual production aspect, because really it's like, how do you get on set in general? How do yeah. you become a direct how do you become a director? Sure. Same director that directs TV shows today will be directing virtual production TV shows. It's the same DPs, it's the same Art department's been somewhat changing, but it's it's the same people, same producers. It's it's you know the same people that make Netflix shows have been making them. If there's an LED wall on set, that's the same. Specifically for virtual production, if you're like interested in kind of like developing for that or like doing it on the indie, is uh, getting something like Unreal Engine. You know, Unreal Engine is the game engine that I use uh, like every day at this point. It's what they used on Mandalorian. It's what they're using on a lot of TV shows. And that's what that's really like the big change is that Unreal Engine is now free. You just wow. head over to the UnrealEngine.com. It's free. You download it and you turn it on and it just does the real-time rendering for you. So like typically you think, oh, 3D World, or if you've done any 3D, you're like, oh, 3D World, add some lights. I render it. A few minutes later, I come back and it looks it looks okay. This just happens real-time. It just, you're just always seeing it if you have the computer that can handle it. So like that's really the big step for filmmakers is to start to open Unreal Engine, which is not typically something you would do. Uh, and then if you're even more daring than that, you would get something like a, a VR system, like an HTC Vive, whatnot. And I think I saw someone on the on the show who had a Vive. Yeah. And, and that's Adam step. Lissigore from Sandwich really wants to kind of break into this industry as well and kind mm-hmm. of implement it more in his productions. That's the step. So if you see filmmakers, like all of a sudden, like, why is there like video game hardware on set? Like, why do you have this VR system and like, you know, Xbox controllers? And you're like, what is like, that's, that's the sign that people are moving into virtual production. And then, then, and that's it. So with a HTC Vive, essentially, like it was just, it was just a VR headset with controllers and they have a little tracker, like specifically just for tracking. It's a little puck, they call it. You can do green screen virtual production and you can also do LED 
virtual production. And you can do, if you want to set up a mini Mandalorian set, you can use your computer monitor, a little Funko Pop toy or like whatever toy you want, almost, almost whatever camera you have, and it could be done for free. It's called End Display. Uh, so Unreal Engine, and if you look up End Display, you'll eventually find my Facebook group because like that's where a lot of the people are like kind of like getting into this. You, you could do it in like a week if you just like kind of like bear down, did all the tutorials. You can set up the exact same setup that we do for big Mandalorian shoots on your computer monitor. And if you, you can imagine like the LED wall shoots for the Mandalorian, it's like over multiple LED monitors. You should see there's people that are like, you know, not film industry people. It's like they have like four computer monitors and they pan the camera and across and it's doing the same effect for free. You know, like you don't pay for that software. It's Unreal Engine and display. And then you need a Vive tracker or Vive So it, are you saying in display? I am? Oh, I'm sorry. It's, so it's N, like the letter N. Oh, N. And then display. Display. Okay, guys. Yeah, I will put all of these links in the show notes so you guys um, can check it out. And of course, I'll, I'll reference, you know, Matt Workman's stuff too, because that's really the place to be if you're into this stuff. But um, so we have in, N display and also Unreal Engine. Um, and I'll put a link to that stuff in the show notes. Okay, so that's great for cinematographers and people that want to break into the industry to produce this stuff. But like, what about, you know, producers, ad agencies, directors, people that are not going to learn all this stuff, but they mm. want to know who is the team that you assemble? And I'm not saying the actual people, because certainly it should be you. But I'm saying like, who, what are the roles that people that people have, the people that you need on set? How do you even put together a production like this? So it depends on the scale, right? Like, are we, are we talking like, like I've done consulting for a lot of the studios who are doing episodic, you know, video on demand. That's a different let's say level. Let's say commercial work, um, mm -hmm. you know, smaller level stuff. Um, you know, where, how do you assemble the right crew or the yeah. right roles to, to actually make something like this happen? Right. So if it's more um, like one-off contents, I would say versus like, you know, studios are like, we're going to shoot here for years. Yeah, yeah. No, like 50, music videos, commercials, movies. stuff yeah. like that. So you're going to want to find a, a stage that already has it set up, right? Because the, the amount of capital to get one up and running is not in the budget of any one-off production. Yeah. So you're going to look for stages that have virtual production capabilities. And there's a lot at this point, and there will be more and more. You know, so I'll, I'll take a specific example, like New York City, uh, a company called Silver Spoon. It might be called Silver Spoon Animation. Uh, they were an animation company, or they are. So they had mocap people in suits doing, you know, animation and whatnot. And again, people who come from mocap, that transitions really easily into virtual production. So now in Brooklyn, they have a big LED wall. I think it's like a 40-foot curve and like a 15-foot mm. ceiling, something like that, like 15 feet wide. Maybe it spans the whole thing. And so they have all the camera tracking set up. They have all the rendering set up. And they have the LED wall. And you would look to work with a company like Silver Spoon as a production company, as an advertising agency. And you would talk to them. You're like, this is the project we have. This is like our budget. And you would talk to them. And then they would uh, kind of break it down for you. And it's very likely at, at a one-off production that their staff would be doing most of it. And then you would feed them creative. You'd be like, we want to be in the mountains. Can you make us virtual mountains? They'd be like, Probably yes. Like that's actually pretty easy at this point, right? And you, it's similar to working with like a VFX vendor. The difference is when you show up on set, that's when you see it versus it being yeah. like 
hey, we showed all this green screen stuff. Can you add virtual mountains now? It's You add it beforehand. So yeah. you would look for studios that already have it up and running. So PRG is a big one. Uh, PRG is like kind of like a vendor for events hardware. Uh, and, and lots of things. You can look into it if you've if never heard of them. But they're kind of a leader uh, in LA, XR stage, uh, world stage. The, the deeper you look into it, you'll find the stages that have this up and running. And you're going to probably use their cameras, their tracking, everything set up um, for one-off stuff. And it's going to be pretty turnkey mm-hmm. soon. Uh, it, it basically already is. If COVID wasn't here, um, you know, the development of it would be even faster, right? Because it's kind of hard to get a lot of people together to like in yeah. their current state to show yeah. them this. But in, in every major production um place that's <laughs> like a thing there's gonna be a, a several of these of, of various sizes like you can get pretty indie with like a 16 foot by 10 foot wall single wall that's that's like where a lot of people start and you can use like a vive like an HTC vive like so not expensive camera tracking stuff because the camera tracking stuff can be like 500 grand at the end um very consumer and it's like it looks pretty good and, and you'll see a lot of indie stuff it's like it's one led wall like a video game tracker on whatever camera you want, Red, Alexa, whatever. And it's looking good. And people are doing productions out there. Like, this is not, like, uh, only high-end now. I think there's way more indie stuff happening with it. And I will say, like, I've been doing this for a bit. And a while back, I just started a, I started a Facebook group just to, like, be able to talk to people about it. And it's called, I gotta hear it, Unreal Engine Virtual Production. So if you search either one of those on Facebook, we're definitely, like, the biggest group and most active. And if you want to just see what does this look like at the indie level, like literally people in their bedrooms doing end display or like you can do it with a projector. People in their living room put projectors against the wall and they move the camera and they're filming stuff in it. And it's like, that looks great. It looks awesome. Uh, just like all, all the way up to like some pretty big studio executions. Uh, that's a good place if you just want to like see uh, examples of like indie versions of it. Absolutely. We'll put a link to that in the show notes. Um, So in our last few minutes, I want to talk about virtual production in a green screen environment. Um, We've been talking a lot about LED walls, obviously, but those are very, very expensive. And for people that want to get into this, but all they really have access to is a green screen world, how do you do it? So like on the indie level, you know, you have your green screen already and it doesn't have to be like massive. Uh, And if you don't move the camera, it can be very, very small. You basically just need some way of telling Unreal Engine. That's that's where you'd want to be sending the video into. You can plug your camera into your computer. Unreal Engine takes it. It'll do the live compositing for you. It'll do the 3D world rendering. Like, it all happens there. You just need a way of telling uh, Unreal Engine where is your real camera. Like, where is it looking? How high is it and whatnot? And the easiest way to do that is to use VR hardware, like gaming VR hardware. So if you've ever wanted to get into VR, secretly this is a great excuse for it. So you get something like an HTC Vive, which used can be pretty affordable. And you put either the controller, which you would normally be playing Beat Saber with or whatnot, or this special puck that's like $100 called a Vive Tracker. You put that on top of your camera. There's a little bit of setup. There's, some, there's lots of tutorials and more on YouTube now. And now when you move your real camera, you, the virtual camera that's rendering the image in the background for your composite will match. And now matching it precisely, this is an art. It gets more expensive as you want to do it better. But if you just want to like generally ballpark it, it looks pretty good uh, right out of the gate. So it's basically regular green screen production, all the stuff that goes with that. Uh, VR hardware, Vive, Vive Pro, Vive is really the easiest. And Unreal Engine. Uh, and if you look up on YouTube, there's lots of tutorials for it now. Surprisingly, like it's, it's like 
I wouldn't say easy, but it's getting there. It's it's not like I think like last time we spoke, we were even I think we were talking about this type of stuff. Yeah, and it's like it's like it was years ago. Back then, it's like it's like like minimum capital is like five hundred thousand dollars of equipment to get it to get it done because there was no indie version. It was only like how do you do this for the Super Bowl? Only broadcast level executions. Compared to that, it is very easy and very affordable. Um, so and it, it's only going to get easier, I think, too. When you're doing this with green screen, are you able to monitor it in real time? Yeah. So like a quick step through with it. Uh, you're going to need a PC. This is, unfortunately, I know I think that you're pretty Forget it. Conversation's over. <laughs> <laughs> I, was, I was too and still am. I have... All the I have all the latest Mac computers because I'm a developer and I'll have the new iPhone as soon as it comes and I'll be developing for it. So I have all of them. But yeah. this type of stuff tends to be pretty PC-centric. So like, if we want to go a step further into like what you need, you do need a PC. I'm just going to break that to you at the moment. And you need a capture card, right? So you need to be able to get the video into your computer. And that's typically like a Blackmagic Decklink card or an Aja card. Aja's are like usually much more expensive, so... People start with like a Blackmagic capture card. So plug in through SDI, ideally. You can do it with HDMI. And then if you open up Unreal Engine, you're going to have to go through like the tutorials and whatnot. Unreal Engine will recognize your video feed. And then it has a program inside of it called Composure, and it will do the keying for you, and you will see the composite live. That's the whole point. Mm. Uh, it'll do the compositing. Well, you set it up, but it's just like After Effects. It's like, you know, click the green, move some sliders. Hey, keys it out, right? Like, And you can do it well or or not well, but it's in there. So you'll see the composite. You know, you see it live. And the way that I then do it is I send that composite back out through the capture card to a Sumo, like an, an uh, Atomo Sumo recorder, or you can use any, any HDSDI recorder. And I just hit record on that monitor. And I just get ProRes of the comp final right there. Mm. If you're more VFX-centric, you might want to have like clean green screen and then uh, the, uh, the clean camera feed and then the CG plate separate, and you would comp it later. It depends on what you want to do. But for me, I do it live. So, yeah, you turn on Unreal Engine, you turn on your camera, and I record on my monitor. And it's uh, pretty straightforward. And you see it there. Yeah, like there's, it's, it's happening right there. And I think the, bi the big question is, for people that aren't in 3D, it's like, how do I get the sets, right? That's what I was just going to ask. That's, that's the biggest question for me, and I think a lot of our audience is, okay, great, but what are we shooting? What is, what is actually going to be there? So luckily, you do not necessarily need to learn how to 3D model. You're not going to be building these from scratch. That's a specific person's job. You know, if you're a game developer, 3D artist, you, you can. And it's very, very well documented at that point how to do it. But with Unreal Engine specifically, there's something called the Unreal Engine Marketplace. And you can go in there and buy pre-made sets and, and characters. And they are extremely high fidelity, or at least a lot of them are. And it's just growing. The number of people that put content in there is uh, increasing and they're very good. So like there's like some, inc I, I just put this on, on uh, LinkedIn and the internet yesterday. Someone recreated Central Park essentially. Wow. And it's like, I just recorded some footage of it and it went viral. People are like, wow, like this is amazing. You know, like, and it's like, and that's free. Now you need a hell of a computer to be able to open that map. It's a, it's a big chunk of Central Park, completely photoreal. So it's free. You just need the computer power to be able to, to wield it. But there's more and more things like that. And, you know, and, and a long enough timeline, there'll be a recreation of anything that ever existed in the real world. And then we look to go further. It's like the moon, and, you know, the things you can't do in the real world. But like, there'll be photoreal versions available of everything. Um, 
in the next, I, I don't know what timeline, but it, it's definitely happening. And there's companies dedicated to like that exact process. So Central Park, you got it. Spaceships, <laughs> uh, mountains, forests, like amazing photoreal forests, you know, and if they're a little bit out of focus, uh, as you tend to do with like a medium shot or something like that, it's just full photoreal. Um, no, no one would really know. You'd have to, you have to light it nicely, but you know, it's, it's available. So it's Unreal Engine and the Unreal Engine Marketplace. You don't have to, I don't, I can do a lot of 3D modeling, but these days I really don't. I just, I just look for it. So it's, it's, it's kind of like digital location scouting, right? Like you're not having to 3D model it unless you want, you know, something custom. It's like, I'm Adidas and I want this, I want this studio to be like virtual set to be like inside the shoe. This is yeah. a custom modeling job and you're going to hire people to do that. But for your quote unquote average and indie people, a lot of it is like, we could say stock like stock 3D, and it looks incredibly good. And then you can move it around if you want to, you know? It, it, this whole thing is like so mind-blowing blowing to me. And I think it's probably mostly because I don't play video games. So I, I don't even, like I'm so disconnected from virtual worlds to begin with, but I'm excited by it. And I think that's the point. I mean, somebody like me that knows absolutely nothing about it, to see it as an actual like potential thing that we could produce at BC Media Productions is exciting. And I think a lot of people in our audience is probably in the same position where it doesn't feel like you as the producer or you as the cinematographer have to know everything anymore. Like you can just hire people, you can bring a team on, you can, you know, the, the costs have come down enough that this can be potentially something that you offer to your clients. And that's what's really exciting to me. Yeah, 100%. You know, it's it's still somewhat early uh, in like the indie like revolution of it, like the DSLR revolution, you know. Uh, this is kind of like the virtual production revolution, I think, uh, just the beginning of it. You know, like now you really need, would need to find like the person that's like, hey, I saw you doing this, right? Um, it's like, you'd probably want to grab them and like they would help set it up. Uh, unless, and there's more and more, you know, to be, you know, honest young people doing it, like who yeah. are home right now. And that's been part of it, I think, is like people are like, well, I'm home for six months. Like, yeah, I might as well just start getting into this. So we, there's been a lot of people who probably wouldn't have from many backgrounds. Like they come from like, if you come from VFX, it's a little bit easier, but then they have to learn cameras. And then there's a lot of cinematographers who are like right in that perfect place to kind of start tinkering. It's like, okay, I know the camera already. I know how to light for the green screen. I just put this Vive tracker on it and I learn a little bit of Unreal and you'll see them on YouTube and whatnot. And, you know, it's definitely possible like like if we were to do a job i'm not freelancing much i'm just saying like if we were to do a job and it was like hey green screen we want to like you know move the camera and do this tracking it's not expensive you just need kind of have someone who knows how to do it but it's like it's like if you wanted to own your own system it's like okay go buy a vive and then i would have to kind of like do the unreal engine part but it's like and then once it's set up it's like yeah go switch out the set and that's that's what it is it's it's really getting uh, quite simple. And it's, but like anything, it's just like color correction early on. Color correction used to be like, you had to work with a film lab, <laughs> you know what I mean? And be like, okay, how much, how, what temperature are we, are we exposing the film at? You know what I mean? Like, and then you would, you know, do an online 2K. I remember doing like 2K color grading was like million dollar setups back in the day. And like, it was very specialty. But then as it gets simpler, it's like, who can't just open up Resolve for free on their MacBook Pro and drop a couple power windows? Not that long ago, within my career, that was only for like huge productions. Power windows, you would never do a power window. You know, like where you do like a, a, like a color grade with like a, yeah. a selection mask. You didn't do that unless it was like a movie. <laughs> it wasn't, you didn't do that stuff. 
You know, so it's a, it's a very similar trajectory. So like early on, it's like people who were first into the red camera is like, oh, how do you even edit this stuff? It's like, yeah, it takes the specialists and like the people who are on top of it to the point where it's like going to just happen on your phone and it'll, it'll be any SLR will, will be able to do like a lot of it and it'll just become standard. Well, iPhone 12 having HDR recording on it is like crazy. So Lighter. I mean, who, who, I mean, well, there you go. There's a, another perfect example. I mean, this is all in your pocket, so who knows where it's going to go. But as of this moment, you are certainly an expert in the field. And how do people learn more about you and find you online? Uh, I would say Instagram is like my main place. So like Instagram, uh, my handle is cinematographyDB. So that's, that's where I post the most. And if you're like interested in kind of like learning about it, it really is that Facebook group. Not that like everyone loves Facebook, right? You know, but it, it is a good place to, to to bring people together that create as much content as we do, right? Because it's like when you share to that group, it's usually an image or a video or like 10 videos and Facebook handles the hosting for you. So it's, it's just kind of simpler versus any other platform. So Unreal Engine Virtual Production, if you're interested in getting into it, is a really good one. I have a social media on everything, but those are the two main ones that I think uh, for this conversation are the most relevant. Matt Workman virtual production developer and cinematographer. Thank you so much for being on the show. And I feel like every time we have you, there's this major sea change in cinematography. It's, it's unbelievable how much the world has changed since you were last on. So we're so thankful that you're still out there doing it and doing it well and coming back to tell us all about it. It's a pleasure. Thanks for having me. I want to thank Matt Workman for coming back on the Go Creative Show podcast and sharing with us all of the new things going on in virtual filmmaking. This is like, I really want to do this. I am so excited to try this and get my first virtual production project because, uh, I mean, this is like groundbreaking stuff and it couldn't be at a more perfect time, right? I mean, it's getting harder and harder to have tons of people on set. Something like this would just be amazing. So there's a lot still for me to learn. I'm sure there's a lot you guys want to still learn. And if any of you, um, you know, can provide these services to any of our listeners, please reach out to us. We would love to promote you and your services and, and get this stuff out there. Virtual production, this is where we're going as an industry. And um, just so excited to uh, be talking about it and bringing people like Matt on to talk to all of us about virtual production. So Matt, thank you. And of course, we'll put all uh, links to all of your stuff in our um, show notes. But of course, Instagram.com forward slash cinematography DB is where he is the most active. I also want to thank Matt Russell for mixing and mastering and making the show sound so good. He and his team over at GainStructure.com do a fantastic job, and they can also do great audio work for you. So find him at GainStructure.com. And of course, our producer, Connor Crosby, who's putting this whole show together behind the scenes, you can find him at IgnitionVisuals.com. And all things Go Creative Show at GoCreativeShow.com. Of course, follow us across all social media, Instagram, Twitter, Facebook, and YouTube, and subscribe to us on your favorite podcast app. And of course, our sponsors, MZ Education for Creatives. Without them, the show would not exist. So please support those that support us. And we'll see you next week on another episode of Go Creative Show, a podcast for filmmaking.